Lord, thank you so much for uh, just bringing us here to worship today, God. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for uh, just friends who get to come and worship together. Lord, I just pray you'd open our hearts up to your word today. And uh, I pray you would um, just show us, show us what you want to show us. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, last week we kind of talked about the, um, oh, we send the kids. Hey, man, if they want it. They want to hear the adults teach, and they can hear the adults teach, right? Okay, does anyone remember the topic? We had four topics we talked about last year about growing as a disciple. We had the word, prayer, fellowship, and evangelism. What was last week's talk more focused on? Just John 3, we're in evangelism. That's right. And uh, lo and behold, another, another verse today, chapter 4, has a lot of what? Evangelism. Yes, yes. But before we jump into that, I want to share something. Do you guys remember who broke the four-minute mile? Anybody? Anybody? Roger Bannister. But check this out. Okay, so in 1886, no one could break the four-minute mile. Okay? Nobody. So all the great coaches, everyone came together and was like, we got to break this thing. And people were saying, in order to break the four-minute mile, the conditions would have to be perfect. It would have to be 68 degrees outside. It would have to be like a perfect track. I don't, I'm not a track athlete, so I don't know what that looks like. But um, they also said it would have to be a full crowd. Like, you know, a huge crowd, because they'd have to cheer that person on to get the four-minute mile. And last but not least, they said that person would have to have a very strict coach. They'd have to train all the time. There was this big, there was this big barrier. But Bannister did it, listen to this, on a cold day, on a wet track, at a small meet in Oxford, England, before a crowd of just a few thousand people. Today, the four-minute miles, you know, the top runners always run past the four-minute mile, right? The power of one is powerful. Last week, we talked about having gospel conversations, actually bringing up Jesus into our conversations, whether it was just our testimony or Inviting someone to church or sharing the gospel. We talked about having these gospel conversations. And what I want us to see is if the power of one with Roger Bannister, who broke this four-minute mile, who went on to change the way the mile was ran, how much different would you and I be? How much different would this church be if we would engage in gospel conversations? See, you and I have the potential to have the power of one. Now, do you remember a story in the Bible Talks about the power of one. Jesus is with a hundred sheep, right? One goes astray. And what? He leaves the 99 to go after the one. Man, God is all about the power of one. So here's some questions I want to ask before we jump into the text. We have a, a big passage. Don't worry, we're not going to be here for a couple hours unless something just crazy happens. But I want to ask you a couple questions about this power of one before we get started. What do you think would happen if one believer embraced the idea of living, having gospel conversations? Like I'm, I'm going to make it a point that I'm going to have conversations with my friends, families, neighbors about Jesus. Just one person did that. What kind of impact would that have? What if as a church today we embraced a desire to reach our community? Not just one person, but one church said, we are going to take this serious about having gospel conversations could you impact could you picture the impact this church have and today what i want to see is the power of one 
could literally change the world. So we just got a couple things. So the, the talk today is on embracing gospel conversations. And the first reason we need these gospel conversations is because there is one source we're sharing. Get that one source? <laughs> one theologian said this. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Does that make sense? So the reason Joy is going on this mission trip isn't so just to go on a mission trip. She's going on the mission trip because there's people who don't know Jesus in that mission trip. That's not the mission trips is the means to the end. God has created us for what? To worship him. And just like missions exist, we have these gospel conversations. It's not like I need to go have these gospel conversations just for fun. It's because there's people in our society, people in our world today who do not have a relationship with God. That is why we have these conversations. And here's verse, chapter four, verse one says. That's verse 10. I'm gonna, we're not quite there. I'm going to go with verse 1 first. Give it a little backdrop. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. So we have this. The Pharisees, are they good or bad? Not, not a, there's some good ones and bad ones, but yes, they get a bad, yes, they get a bad reputation, right? And they're jealous of Jesus. Why? Because he's making... More disciples him. And remember, the Pharisees' message was this. Follow a bunch of rules and regulations and God will love you. And God's message we saw in John 3, 16, that everyone knows is God loves you just because he's God. For God so loved the world, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Last week, we saw this man who was a Pharisee, right? And you would think if anyone would believe in Jesus, it would be him because he knew the Bible. He knew the Old Testament. But today we're going to see a lady who is at the bottom of society. And if you would have looked at her on the initial outset, you would say, man, she's never respond to this message. Here's what we see. Jesus creates a divine meeting with the supposed enemy. Do you know when you have a gospel conversation with somebody, it is a divine meeting? This week, I was sitting with a man, and he was one of, my, one of the dads on my son's teammate, and we were talking about Jesus. He was already a believer, but he was telling me about a story. He goes, man, I, in 1995, I had a shotgun. I just got back from the war. My wife was leaving me, and I was about to take my life, and God intervened. I was like, man, this is an awesome conversation. Listen to verse 3. He left Judea, Judea went, went away into Galilee, and he, he had to pass through Samaria. Basically, we got Jesus' personality. You got the Samaritans. The Jews and Samaritans, they did not like each other. So Jesus is down here. Samaria is right here. And Jesus is trying to get here. The shortest distance between two lines is a straight, or two, two points is a straight line. Most Jews went this way. Does that make sense? They went around. Where does Jesus go? Straight through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar. I don't know what the Sychar is, but it's near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was the sixth hour. Jesus did not take the easy route. And see, if we're 
to have these gospel conversations, we have to realize a couple things. Number one, we have the source we're sharing, right? I told you last night, he didn't call me back because he's watching the Clemson game. That's a pretty cool source, right? But man, we have the source that gives life. And these people hated each other. The Jewish people thought the Samaritans were half-breeds because they were half-Jewish. They were interraced with other cultures, intermarried. So the Jews thought they were half-breeds. And Jesus walked straight to Samaria. And he's sitting here with the Samaritan woman. Are you willing to go through Samaria to have gospel conversations? Verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Could you picture that God is sitting like this, this water fountain? And he's like, I need a drink. Like, could you picture giving Jesus a drink? Just think about that for a second. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Basically, this woman's stating the obvious, right? Like, this doesn't happen. Like, me, it's supposed to work like that. It was the sixth hour of noon. And usually when Samaritans went to the well, they would go with the group, right? But this lady wasn't just a Samaritan woman. She was kind of an outcast, even in her own society. And notice she was by herself, and she was going to this well. And Jesus uses a common thing that they could both relate to to connect with this lady. Have you ever thought about that God has designed you? He's given you all your life stories, all your good things and bad things, and you can connect that with other people. It could be a, a job. It could be your work. It could be a family situation, but we could actually connect that to other people. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Jesus just did there. He was using something they could connect with to transition the conversation into different things. She was like, what are you talking about? Sir, have you nothing to draw with? I want to show us a few things about living water. And here's the first one. Living water is what we were made for. Notice this. Living water is what we were made for. If you knew the gift of God says to you, give me a drink, you something is a gift. But I just want you to see this for a sec. Living water, I wrote this down. Living water refers to water that flows as in a spring, river, or stream that is moving water. Other water stood still and could find it, cistern or pond. Living water was precious and valued. According to the law, the only water could be used in ritual washings to make pure and unclean worshipers. The verse in Jeremiah that explains this living water. It says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken the fountain of living water to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that could hold no water. It's Jeremiah 2.13. What that verse is saying is, is the people of God are supposed to live at this source, right? Because here's the reality. This whole thing about gospel conversations, it's super intimidating, right? But if, if the people of God aren't drinking from the fountain of God, we're never going to have these gospel conversations. 
Right? And the verse says, my people, these aren't the pagans. This is the neighbor next door who's worshiping Satan. I'm not saying this really happened. I'm just throwing that in there. But this is saying the people of God were going away from the fountain. For my people have committed two evils. Fountain of living water to hew for themselves. They could hold no water. Use this as an illustration before. I, I didn't bring it today because it would take maybe the whole sermon. But I, I have these cups and they say like success on it. Family. And that pulls on it. You know, and uh, I'll start pouring water in it and they'll just. The because that's what it is. When put to other instead of God. And satisfy. Guys, are you drinking from the source? Are you drinking from God's fountain? If you're a believer in here, the reality is we know we're supposed to do that, right? And we also know that there's times when we do that more. There's times that we do that less. But God is saying, if, if we want to be these people who make this impact, we have to drink from the source. We're not going to share what we're not drinking from, Right? Blake tells me about Clemson, not because he never watches it, because he drinks from Clemson, right? Last 10 years, it's been good to be a Clemson fan. We share what we're drinking from. And if we're going to have these conversations, we have to drink from this fountain. Here's something else. Verse 12 <clears throat> says this. Are you greater than He gave us the well and drank from it himself. As did his sons, his livestock. This one source, Jesus is the greatest of all time. God is the greatest of all time. The reason Jesus can offer us living water is because he is the greatest of all times. You see, the Samaritans believed the first five of the Bible. And they stopped. And she's using, you guys remember, know who Jacob was? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Jacob Jacob had a good legacy, right? He had this well, this well, and having this real physical need met. But Jesus is saying, you know what? I am greater than Jacob. Jesus is greatest. I love the story about Muhammad Ali. The great One time he was on an airplane, and the flight came and asked him to buckle his seatbelt. And he replied, Superman don't need it, no seatbelt. She responded, Superman don't need no plane. As great as Muhammad Ali was, he wasn't the greatest of all time. But Jesus is truly the greatest of all time. He's greater than Ali, and he's greater than Jacob. Guys, will you drink from him this week? The reality is, when we drink from God, having conversations about the gospel happen naturally. One more thing about living water. Then we'll jump to the next thought. This water quenches our thirst forever. 14 to 15. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Isn't that so true? It's not bad to be successful in our careers or our families, but when that is our primary source we drink from we leave empty but then when we drink from this water it becomes a, a, the waters it wells up and it it overflows and listen to what the woman said she said the woman said to him 
Sir, give me this water. To draw water. Notice what happened? Started with, give me a drink. It's like, man, he's just kind of transitioning this conversation. And all of a sudden, now this, this woman's interested. She's like, this water. Because I think deep down, here's what this woman knew. She knew something was missing in her life. This is why uber successful people in life who don't have a relationship with Christ are so empty. It's because they don't have this water that quenches thirst forever. Church, as we step out from our comfort zones, let us not drink, forget to drink from this living water. You know, because when we talk about this, this spoke, it could be easy to be like, hey, Andy, go share right now. Tim would probably do it, but say if you're shy. Oh my goodness, I'm not going to talk about it. But if you say, drink from this fountain, and then it becomes with God. I want to overflow with God. And I don't have to share with somebody. I don't have to have these gospel conversations. I get to. Could you picture a church that all the people said, we're going to stop settling mountains and we're going to drink from that source? We're not going to be perfect at it, but we're going to make sure we're drinking from that source. Second thing, we must embrace gospel conversations. <clears throat> First, we saw there's only one source, but here's the second. Only takes one unlikely respond. Now for a second, in all your spheres, all of influence, likely person to respond to the gospel. I mean, maybe it's a person who might even get violent with you. You know, you're picturing like stepping across the table and punching you in the face. Who is the likely candidate who would respond? What I love about this story Sin. I've sinned, right? But that of sin. Which people would have looked at, she would have been the most likely candidate. Let's look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Remember, she's interested now, right? She's like, Man, I want this living water. Listen to what Jesus said. Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you saying you have no husband? Five husbands and the one you have is your husband. What you have said is true. It went from like, that's a living water to sinner. No, he didn't say it like that. But man, Jesus started dealing with sin, right? Like this isn't the fun part of the message. You know, I was at, um, my dad's been, Who's an alcoholic? He's been clean for how many years now? Long time. Yeah, really long. I'm getting old. Um, I went to one of these meetings one time with him. And it was so awesome because we would sit there, people would get up and say, Hey, my name's Jimmy. I've been clean for 10 years. And they'd be like, Oh, hey. And so we get up and be like, My name's Bob. And, you know, I've been clean for five years. But I got wasted last night. And they'd be like, Bob, we're behind you. It was just this authentic thing. But they had to deal with their issue. And I just love the love and the for one another. 
And here's what I want you to see about this Samaritan woman. We all got our sin. You know, some of the ones who hide it the most. My, my brother called me and said, watching some show about Jeffrey, some serial killer. Someone, like, I stopped watching it. You know, there, there's some wacky people. We all got sin. But here is this woman being married, Jewish culture. Like, if you got divorced, you were looked down upon as culture. This woman was, and Jesus was going to a hard place. But what Jesus knew is that in order to have a message, she had to deal with her mess. And I love how he goes there, but it's not to condemn her. It's so she can drink the living water. God's not looking to crush us for our sin. Jesus himself was crushed for our sin. But he knew that deal with this in order to come to him properly. Charles Spurgeon says this, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend the lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose. The lion will defend itself. Jesus said, I'm going to let this truth out there because you got to deal with this. And here's the thing. You won't need a great savior if you're not a great sinner. You see, we could look at this woman and say, it's pretty bad. That's the case with all of us. You remember when Jesus exposed your heart? I mean, aren't you glad that you could say, turn my mess into a message? And then we see this back in the verse. The woman said to him, prophet, our father, is a place where people ought to worship. Remember, the Samaritan Jews had different places of worship. And some people think she was running from the conversation like, Ed, we know what you did last night about something else. You know, a lot of people think she was running from this conversation. But what, what we realize here is whether she was from the conversation or not, she was going even deeper into the conversation because she brought up what topic here? Worship. Notice Jesus didn't bring worship up. He brought worship up. And she had worship, right? Jesus said to her, this is verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour of this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you Father, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him worship in spirit and truth. Man, Jesus is basically saying, man, there is something so much greater than you ever imagined. Worship isn't about a place. What I love about playing this church is we meet at Alpha and Omega Gymnastics, Nine o'clock. That's not about meeting here. Man, worship is not about a place. It's about worshiping spirit and in truth. Verse 25 and 26. I know that the Messiah is coming. Remember throughout all John, people were looking for the Messiah. Just like if you're a basketball fan, you're looking for Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson there. You're looking that next savior-like figure. They were looking for the savior. Even the Samaritan. It's about in 
the Old Testament. And here's what it says. I know the Messiah is coming. In verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, Do you realize what a great claim this is? I mean, what if you just met someone? They're like, man, I am God. I am the Messiah. Did you notice Jesus and this lady's interaction? In verse 9, she called him Jesus. In verse 9, she called him Jew. In 19, she called him Lord or Sir. In verse 19, she called him the prophet. And all of a sudden, the Messiah. This is the first time. Jesus specifies he is the Messiah. And it's not to his Jewish disciples. It is to a Samaritan woman. People's eternities are on the line. And there's one unlikely candidate who literally changed the whole community. You see this unfold here pretty quick. But I love what one of my favorite preachers said. He said it would be nice if everyone who was going to believe the gospel had like a tattoo on their arm. This guy's from London, right? So he goes, man, if that, that was the case, I would just go up to people and pull their shirt sleeve up. And if they had a tattoo, I'd be like, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. Uh, go up to this guy. No, no tattoos. So I'm not going to tell you about Jesus. Yeah, she definitely has a t- tattoo. Yeah, we'll tell her. Wouldn't it be nice if there was like some sign and you could just be like, that person's going to respond great. This person's not going to respond. But what this preacher says, because it doesn't work like that, he said, I'm going to share with everybody. And I think that's the heart that God wants. That's the heart that God said, I'm in the 99. We're going to preach to everybody. All right, there's next thought. So we see one source. If we're going to have gospel conversation. One source. All it takes is one candidate, right? It could be unlikely. And there's another reason we need to have gospel conversations. It's because of this. Who might sting the most? Because everyone drifts towards self-centered living. Turn to your neighbor and say you're selfish. But it's God loves you. That sounds like such a negative point. This might be the most freeing point in this, this whole talk. We need gospel conversation more than God needs our gospel conversations. Isn't that freeing? Like, the disciples who actually had barbecues and campouts with Jesus, like, you know, Boy Scout campouts, they drifted all the time. Verse 31 here. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, rest, eat. So they're like, you know, back up, be like, dude, you got, you know, he's having like this, literally a conversation that's an eternity. They're like, we got some good food here for you, Rabbi. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, brought him something to eat. Love just how like the Samaritan woman's kind of like, what's he talking about living water? I mean, Jesus used food a lot to get his point across. Jesus had more concern for the souls of women than he did physical food. Jesus is on a whole other plane here. Now, I'm not saying don't go eat lunch today. But man, sometimes we focus more on the physical and miss the eternal. Our lives get lots of kids, work. 
But let's look at Jesus compared to the intentionality of the disciples at this point. Verse 34 and 38. said to them, my food is the will of him who sent me and to accomplish. Do not say there are four yet four months harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes fields that they are white. For Already he who reaps is received and is gathering fruit for life eternal. So that he who sows, he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you were not labored. Others have labored for and you have entered into their labor. And here's what I say about this really quick. The fact that we can have conversations, it's all about, we can be a part of greater than ourselves. Right? Like, it's not like, oh man, I'm going to have a gospel conversation. No, this story has going on since the beginning of creation. And what I love about this is we get to be a part of God's story. Like, my mom's here today and like, Love going to be part of our family story. But this is even bigger than that. If you're a believer in Christ, you're a part of this story. I'll read this, then we'll kind of get ready to close up here because we've got something cool. Christian labor is never a solitary effort divorced from the labor of God. Christians are when go where God has already done the hard work and in this place the harvest. Guys, we're talking about this part on our wheel of evangelism. But what might need to come before evangelism on that wheel? There's word, prayer, and fellowship. What one might come before evangelism? Prayer. Prayer's not part of the word. Prayer is the word of the ministry. Now, I'm going to read a couple verses here. 27, we're jumping back. At this point, disciples came and they were that he had been speaking to who? Hey, woman, way better than men, but they didn't think like that back then. Yet no one do you seek or why do you speak? Come see a man who told all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to them. So check this out. This lady, she becomes a believer. She leaves her water pot. She goes and tells all the people in her village. Now, did she have to do that? And I love what they say. She said, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. Is this not the Christ? She naturally does. Does this. Verse 39 and 40, jump to that. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him. Because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I have done. So listen, what it's saying here is she goes back to her city and people believe in Jesus because of what happened in her life. Then it says this. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Guys, here's the thing. Is one unlikely candidate Changed the whole town. We've seen the power of one, right? We have one source. There was one unlikely candidate. We saw that 
we will drift towards selfishness. And we've also seen how one community was changed because of this. You know, after Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile, everyone started beating it. Like that record got shattered. And I just want to say, what if one person in our church said, I man, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. What if our church was like a church that we lived and said, we're going to be a church that loves far from God. Now, could you picture the impact we could have just in Pearland and Houston? But really, we could have a worldwide impact. Person would be strong enough, right? Picture one church. Yeah, we're a new church. Let's be a powerful church, right? And let's focus on growing in Christ. Leave on this quote, and then here's what we're going to do after this. Actually, come up here and role play. So we talked about the bridge. He's going to role play illustration. I want to leave us with this quote. Okay, this was C.T. Studd. How do you have that name, C.T. Studd? He was like the best athlete of his time. He said, "Some want to live within the sound. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell." And guys, here's what I want to say today. Coming Sunday is one of my best times of the week. Just being in everyone's presence, fellowshipping. But man, let's leave this place and bring them the source of eternal life. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to share your word. Thank you for your goodness to us. And I just pray that uh, as we live today, God, we would be willing to take steps out of our faith. We would love those who are far from you. In Jesus' name, amen.